Well, good morning and happy Wednesday to you. It is May 17th and you are listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. Happy to be with you this morning. Let's begin our day together in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On the show today, we are going to hear a a little quick hit from Father Schumacher about the descendants of Abraham. We're going to be talking with Franciscan Father Daniel Mary Klemek about his book on the Blessed Mother. And we're going to hear a homily about adoration and how adoration comes before everything else. And finally, on the show, we'll be talking about Eucharistic Revival with Joel Stepanek from the National Eucharistic Revival. That's all ahead on Roadmap to Heaven today, but first, let's Let's go to Mike Roberts. Today is the feast day of St. Paschal of Balon. Born in Spain in 1540, his parents, Martin and Elizabeth, named him Paschal because he was born on the Pentecost. When he was a baby, he constantly stared at the Blessed Sacrament when his mother held him at church. And when, as a young boy, he went missing for a significant period of time, his frightened parents found Paschal climbing the steps to the church so he could visit the Blessed Sacrament. His parents were poor, and Pascal grew up working as a shepherd from the age of seven. When in the fields, he always paused when he heard the bells of the church tolled during the Mass as the Eucharist was being elevated. With a great thirst for learning, Pascal taught himself to read by always carrying a book and begging those he met to teach him the alphabet. He became a voracious reader, constantly reading religious texts. In 1564, he joined the Franciscans as a brother and was offered the chance to become a priest but did not feel called. He confined himself to menial tasks as an exercise in humility and spent as much time as he could praying before the Blessed Sacrament. In 1576, Pascal was sent to France to defend the Eucharist against the heresies of a preacher there, but he was not well received, driven out, and nearly killed. However, He became a beloved figure in his life. Many sought his counsel and wisdom, and after his death, many miracles were attributed to Paschal. St. Paschal, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. The Memorari to St. Joseph for the Sanctification of Families. Remember, O most chaste spouse of the Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who implored thy help and sought thy intercession was left unaided. Full of confidence in thy power, I fly unto thee and beg thy protection of families. 
Despise not, O guardian of the Redeemer, my humble prayer, but in thy bounty hear and answer me. Amen. We are happy to have Father Daniel Mary Klimek, a Third Order regular Franciscan, with us on the show today. Father is the author of a book, For the Love of Mary. Father, it's good to have you with us here on Roadmap to Heaven. Thank you so much, Adam. It's a blessing to be with you. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, this is kind of a loaded question, because if if you can't guess, you know, I love the Blessed Mother. I've, I've got the Blessed Mother here. I've got our, our Pray the Rosary shirt on the bookshelf here. I've got the, the Holy Family. There, there's lots of odes to the Blessed Mother here on our video podcast set. For our radio listeners, I apologize. You can't see it. It's radio. But you can imagine it. Just imagine the most beautiful statue of Mary. That'll be close. But you have, you have this book, For the Love of Mary, and the question is, how do I fall in love with Mary, my spiritual mother? Yeah, yeah. Phenomenal question. And, you know, there are numerous ways. Each chapter is dedicated to a path. One of the chapters, for example, is called The Presence of Mary or Practicing the Presence of Mary. And what is being emphasized there is often a person can try to delve into Marian devotion by focusing on the rosary or Marian consecration, both important spiritual disciplines, but afterwards still feel like they're not any closer to Our Lady. And the presence of Mary, it's a meditative technique where you visualize Our Lady's presence as if she's sitting by you or standing by you or walking with you, and you begin to pray to her from the hearts. Give her your vulnerabilities, your fears, your emotions, your uh, blessings, your joys. Speak to her like a mother. And when we say speak to her like a mother and to cultivate this practice, it's also about addressing her in tender ways. You know, I referenced the uh, Kibeho visionaries, uh, the Marian apparitions of Kibeho, Rwanda, the first set of apparitions to be officially approved by the church on the continent of Africa. When the Kibeho visionaries first addressed Our Lady, it would scandalize some of the people who were present because they would use such terms of affection like my beloved, my darling, mom. And then people would ask, how can you refer to the mother of God this way? And the Kibeho visionaries would say, because she wants us to speak to her like she's our mom, not like she's our principal or boss. And I think that's also so accurate. Oftentimes, the way that we address her, to use tender, affectionate terms of genuine intimacy and love, will cultivate the way that we see her and speak to her and understand her as our mother. I think that's beautiful. And as someone who, uh, like we just said, advocates praying the rosary, who's made the Marian consecration, looks forward to renewing the Marian consecration, but moving past those rote prayers, which are very good, into the relationship, 
And I, I don't know about you, Father, but for me, it's you know, it's praying that daily rosary. I feel like I'm holding the Blessed Mother's hand when I have those hands on the beads, uh, or have my hand on the beads, and then that makes it easier to address her as mom and to go to her with those things. But for someone who maybe isn't there yet, and they're saying, you know, that is definitely where I would like to get, but this is a little uncomfortable. How do we move past that discomfort? and try to acclimate ourselves into moving deeper in relationship with the Blessed Mother. Yeah. Um, you know, the rosary, we understand it as a prayer that um, certainly allows us to meditate on the life of Jesus, but it is also a prayer. And John Paul II really emphasizes this in his um, apostolic uh, constitution on the rosary. It's a prayer where you are also meditating on Our Lady's memories. So when we say Our Lady's memories, it's acknowledging that she lived through many of these memories, through many of these events. The rosary begins, of course, with the joyful mysteries, with the Annunciation, and it uh, travels all the way to the uh, coronation of Our Lady as Queen of Heaven and Earth. And to see it that way is to see it as an encounter. John Paul II said that each day he made a meeting, uh, a meeting, scheduled a meeting with the mother of God, with one of the most important people. And for him, that daily meeting was the rosary. So to see it as an encounter with this beautiful maternal woman who one day wants to share some of her most joyful memories with you. Another day, he, she wants to share some of her most sorrowful memories with you when she saw her son uh, die in front of her. Because to be able to share so deeply, so vulnerably, requires trust. And so here, we are saying you're going to have an encounter with her every day. She's going to open her heart to you. This is an expression of intimacy and trust. So to be able to realize that she's present, even in Fatima, when Our Lady says uh, to Lucia uh, to pray the rosary and meditate on the mysteries, she used the language keep me company as you're meditating on the mysteries so in that very language keep me company she's telling us that when we pray the rosary she's present she's with us and it's a real encounter with a real woman i love it now now i'm going to change things on my schedule to put the meeting i'm just going to you know meeting on there, just like I'm going to follow that example of St. John Paul II. Uh, but I love that opportunity to sit down with her and reflect upon her memories. And really, I mean, for those that love Lexio Divina, that love to meditate on sacred scripture, that's what you're doing when you pray the rosary. All of these mysteries can also be found in scripture. So it's truly a beautiful thing. The book, again, Father, is called For the Love of Mary, and that's available through the, the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. That's right. It's uh, stpaulcenter.com, the saint being ST, and also available on Amazon. All right, wonderful. Father, could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer or a blessing for our listeners? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, I ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon all our listeners. In Jesus' name, Spirit of God, touch them, fill them with grace, anointing, healing. Mother Mary, wrap them in your mantle and protect them. We entrust every listener to you as we pray. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and in the hour of our death. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Father Klimek, thank you so much for being with us again. It's Father Daniel Mary Klimek, author of For the Love of Mary. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. Daily Offering God the Father, I thank Thee for creating me. God the Son, I thank Thee for redeeming me. God the Holy Spirit, I thank Thee for sanctifying me. Infuse into my thoughts, words, and actions Thy grace, so that they may be supernaturally pleasing to Thee, and supernaturally rewarding to me forever. O blessed Trinity, abundantly assist me in becoming that which thou intended me to become when thou created me. For in thy perfection I will give thee the glory thou desirest of me, and in that perfection I will find my greatest joy in heaven. Amen. Well, once again, Joel Stepanik is with us here on Roadmap to Heaven to talk about the National Eucharistic Revival. And Joel, it's good to have you with us this morning. It is so good to be back this morning. All right. We've been talking about this Eucharistic revival for a few months here on the show. The The central theme to every interview we've done so far is that for all of us, Eucharistic revival starts in the heart. It starts with our own selves. It's, I mean, it's one thing for me to say, oh, all these other people need Eucharistic revival, but but I'm good. No, I, I need Eucharistic revival too, no matter where I'm at in relationship with our Lord. But now is also the time that we're moving out to the parish level. And, you know, I, I look around at the statistics. I think uh, Bishop Cousins shared that we have to remember our responsibility at the local parish in light of the jarring statistics where he said seven and ten Catholics believe the Eucharist is merely a symbol, an encounter with an it instead of a who, and that we're missing an opportunity to know Jesus. So now is the time to say, all right, I've been doing this revival in my heart. Joel, how do I take this to my parish? That is a hinge question, because how we deal with that impacts how our world transforms. And as we enter into this new phase of the Eucharistic revival in the United States, beginning on Corpus Christi in 2023, we are going to be looking at what it means to revive our parishes. On the front end, I'll say there are resources that we are providing as the National Eucharistic Revival that are going to be critical in how you lead these efforts in your parish. But before we get there, I think it's important to say why have a parish revival at all? Like, why not just have a personal revival or a diocesan revival? The parish itself is not responsible for just the Catholics there. And I think most most folks know that. Like the parish is responsible for all the souls, Catholic, non-Catholic, atheist, you know, non-denominational Christian in that particular region. Uh, And that's why we have parishes. And we have to ask ourselves, is our parish living a Eucharistic mission in two ways? One, is it living a Eucharistic mission in how we celebrate the liturgy and how we teach about the Eucharist in how we serve those who are marginalized and less fortunate and in how we facilitate ongoing personal encounters with Jesus Christ. How are we doing there? And if somebody were to come into our parish community who wasn't Catholic and didn't really maybe even know a whole lot about Jesus, but has an innate spiritual sense, because we all do, would they be able to identify the Eucharist as the source and summit of our parish life by just watching us? And if our answer is, eh, I don't know, we need parish revival. 
The second question is, is our parish going out to people? If we have this great gift of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, we don't put that under a bushel basket. Our parish has to become the mission center where people go into their community, into their families, into their schools, into their workplaces with this Eucharistic mindset that the Lord has received me uh, as I have received him in the Eucharist. And now I need to go draw others to this table so that they can have this intimate encounter with our Lord and find abundant life. If our answer is we're not doing that, then we need Eucharistic revival. I I look at the uh, press release that your office sent out in advance of the what you're calling the parish leaders playbook. You know, and, and I love it. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. You're not asking me to come up with what works. We we already have people all over the country saying, hey, we've been doing this and this works. So we've got a, a whole host of sources that we can check out and say, hey, that might work for my parish. And I'm thinking of these four pillars that you speak of. Revival, reinvigorating devotion, personal encounter, robust faith formation, and missionary sending. And I think of a parish in my neighborhood that every year on Corpus Christi, they have their procession through the neighborhood, and they they purposefully go by one of the busiest brunch spots in my part of the city, and heads turn. Who are those people, and what are they doing, and why are they parading around with that gold thing, and why is he wearing a cape? What is going on here? And Father goes, oh yeah, we, we do that on purpose. And I love what you're saying because it seems like the whole idea of this is then as neighbors, when our neighbor says, hey, I, I was eating brunch the other day and I saw you and the priest and some people and I had no idea what was going on, that we would be able to answer, well, here's what we were doing and, and here's how we can invite you to be part of what we're doing. Yes. I love that. That is so bold because you could do a procession that doesn't go by the brunch place on Sunday morning, but to plan it that way so that there is this jarring encounter with the Lord that people have where they ask questions of their friends and neighbors. That's what parish life ought to be. It it's nourishes us and sustains us. So there's an inward focus to our parish. But I think one of the challenges and why we need revival is that our parishes have become maybe a little too inward focused. Uh, They're about services that I get there. Uh, It's about a club that I go to. And I don't mean to seem banal with these things, because I know for many of us who go to a parish, the focus is receiving the Eucharist and our Eucharistic Lord. But I think we all have a tribal mindset of, well, this is my parish and there's something in it for me here. But the parish is also a place that we go out to do this missionary work so we can bring more people back into the parish and it can grow. So I love the idea of a procession that goes by a brunch spot, but that's what the parish playbook is about. Bold ideas. What is the next step for our parish? These are best practices of what a Eucharistic life looks like at a parish. And what I love about the parish playbook is every parish can take the next step. No parish in the United States is going to look at this playbook and say, we check all the boxes. Even if you think you check all the boxes, what's the next iteration of that? What's the next level of that? And I think everybody's going to find something there that will challenge them and help them dive more deeply into what it means to have a Eucharistic culture at their parish. Now, as someone who used to work on the pastoral staff of a parish for many years, uh, pardon me standing on the soapbox here for a moment, but I think many times, even myself included, we presuppose, well, Father's got that taken care of. Father 
Father will do that. Well, Father needs help. You know, Father's got a lot going on. He has the sacraments first and foremost to attend to, and then there's usually the administration of the parish as well as meetings for spiritual direction and other things. And, you know, we can all be ready to assist Father in these efforts at revival in the parish. So this is for you and I, friends. This is for you and I to say, Father, we're ready to help out. What do you need us to do? Now, Joel, for those who are saying, all right, Father's asked me to help out. He said, in fact, could you go find out what's going on with this and report back. Where do we find information on this playbook for parish leaders, and how can we get that and share it with Father or share it with the parish council, whoever it may be? There are two places that people need to go to. The first is eucharisticrevival.org forward slash lead. That is a collection of all of the resources a parish is going to need to lead the efforts of Eucharistic revival. And that's a great place to check out the parish playbook. You can download it there, as well as other pieces of content that will help a parish lean into the year of parish revival. The second page is eucharisticrevival.org slash parish point person. If you are one of those people who's raising your hand right now and saying, how can I help father out? Or your priest has asked you, hey, I need your help as a parish point person. I think that this is the page you want to go to, and you will sign up there to receive more information on what it means to be a parish point person, the person who's going to really shepherd and champion these efforts on behalf of your pastor. So you'll sign up there. You can download some important pieces of information on that page as well, but then we'll be able to communicate you as a National Eucharistic Revival team to empower you and your parish to do this good work. All right. Well, Joel, I want to thank you for being with us to shed some light on what we can do at the parish level today. And let's not forget that this all culminates a year from now with the National Eucharistic Congress. And I'm really excited because I know that through a good chunk of our listening area, one of the uh, pilgrimage processions to Indianapolis is going to pass through. And then folks from all over the country are going to be gathering in Indianapolis. 80,000, I I think, is the capacity at the the football stadium there where the Colts play. And it's going to be quite the event, the National Eucharistic Congress. And you can find out all about that as well at the uh, websites Joel just gave us. Uh, Joel, I look forward to it. It's going to be fantastic. I'm looking forward to it as well. It's going to be a historic moment in our country. All right. Check out the Eucharistic Revival, friends. In the meantime, we're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. The Holy Catholic Church infallibly teaches that the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, is present body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Most Blessed Sacrament and that it is a sacrilege to receive Holy Communion in the state of mortal sin. Let us pray the Fatima prayer to the Most Holy Trinity. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore Thee profoundly. I offer Thee the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation the outrages, sacrileges, and indifferences whereby He is offended and through the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg of thee the conversion of poor sinners. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. Well, it is time for a catequiz this morning, and tomorrow we celebrate the Ascension. Now, in some places we are going to transfer that celebration to Sunday, but the fact that the Ascension occurred on Ascension Thursday is an important one for today's catechist. How many days will have elapsed between tomorrow, the Ascension, and Easter Sunday? 
If you said 40, you are correct. And it's something we'll learn about the significance of the Ascension. We'll hear about that number 40 and more tomorrow on the show with Father Wade Menezes. In the meantime, we're going to take another break here, get you one last check of the weather and our daily dose of encouragement. Prayer in a Time of Waiting All-powerful and ever-living God, guard our churches, our homes, our schools, our hospitals, our factories, and all the places where we gather. Deliver us from harm and peril. Protect our land and the peoples from enemies within and without. Grant an early peace with victory founded upon justice. Instill in the hearts and minds of men and women everywhere a firm purpose to live forever in peace and goodwill toward all. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's Wednesday, and it's time for our Daily Dose of Encouragement with Patty Schneier. And this week, Patty is sharing with us about Father Emil Capin from Pilsen, Kansas. And we're going through his life with just some of the details, again, so that we can learn about these wonderful saints, um, or saint-to-be, hopefully, God willing, in our making, in our time. So in January 1950, continuing the story of Father Capon, he wanted to be back in active military as a chaplain, a priest, serving the men in the armed forces, and he was shipped out to Yokohama, Japan. And he joined the post-World War II peacekeeping forces that were stationed there. But what happened in June of 1950? The communists of North Korea opened fire and they marched into South Korea. So Father Capon's unit was part of the first set of American troops sent to assist the South. He witnessed four months of combat. He risked his life to minister to the men on the front lines. He prayed with men in foxholes. He said mass on the battlefield, often using the hood of his Jeep as the altar. And he retrieved wounded soldiers. He also buried the dead of both ally and enemy alike. And he wrote personal letters to the next of kin of the servicemen who had died in battle to reassure their families that the fallen soldier had died in the presence of a priest and with the consolation of last rites. He received the Bronze Star Medal for Bravery in Action on August 2nd, 1950 for rescuing a wounded soldier despite intense enemy machine gun fire. Whoa. So when I read that, I prayed about it. And here's what came to my mind. Saints are hardly immune to the evils of the world, nor are we. It is precisely in the midst of evil that true holiness becomes such a beacon of light in the midst of hatred, in the midst of violence, in the midst of poverty. I mean, think of Mother Teresa, Maximilian Colby, or Edith Stein, But there's plenty of evil right around our own corner of the world today. Abortion facilities are on our busy city streets, next to businesses and restaurants. The urban poor of today may only live 20 minutes from your front door. The homeless are on every street corner. This challenges me greatly. I don't know about you, but it challenges me greatly. So what am I doing to alleviate the suffering of those nearby? And how can I be a light in the darkness of evil that is around me today? And I'm just praying, servant of God, Emil Capon, inspire me to spend myself in service as you did 
It's a simple prayer that takes us back to those two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, to put it simply. And Patty, thank you for that reminder today. That wraps up our show for today. I want to thank you for being with us. As we part ways, I just want to share a thought with you. Yesterday, we got one of those notices from our kids' school, which I'm grateful they send, but it was one of the, this has been found in your child's classroom, and we just need to make all the parents aware so you can check to see. as well. I'm going to spare you the details beyond that. And, uh, it's, it, you know, nothing major, certainly nothing major at all. But it's one of those things that then we're left saying, oh, did we do something? Could we have done something better? Is this going to get past our household? Is this going to affect us? And sometimes we, we fall into that trap, uh, Beth and I do, that we just get down on ourselves like, what could we have done better? And sometimes life throws you things that you couldn't have done it better. You couldn't have done it differently. And that's why I love the game of golf, because in golf you have to learn to play your shot from where you lie, and in the spiritual life it's the same way. So sometimes you might feel like you're in a bad position. You're in the rough of life. But, you know, with God's grace, you might just have that great shot that lands you on the green. And so today, pray for the rights, because we're asking for that shot that's going to land us on the green. Again, it's no big deal in the grand scheme of things. And know that we're praying for you, too, because grace is such a wonderful thing when we are in the rough of life. Let's wrap up the show with a prayer this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me ask you this question. Do you like exploring church history? Well, if you do, have you checked out our podcast at Covenant Network, Exploring Church History with Monsignor Michael Witt? You love his programs here on the airwaves. Now you can get them on demand wherever you get your podcast or by visiting ourcatholicradio.org. And do us a favor. Hit like, hit subscribe, hit follow, and most importantly, click share and share all of our great podcasts with a friend. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. And as the Blessed Mother wants us to do every day, pray your rosary today.